Still in the uh, series, we're going to be in the series about family health for a while, but you know, I like to start with a proverb. Um, today's the 15th, so out of chapter 15, I chose verse 4. Kind words bring life. It actually, that's half of that particular one, but I thought that was plenty. Kind words bring life. In fact, enough that I want to ask you to, to, to read it out loud with me. Kind words bring life. Honey, everybody gets ice cream curd. <laughs> No, yeah. <laughs> well, there's a good one for you to memorize, adults, and stand up here next week and say, ah, uh, Proverbs 15.4, kind words bring life. My name is Terry. <laughs> okay, might, might get an ice cream cone out of that. Okay, so we've been wading through the book of Genesis to look at the families um, of the book of Genesis. And sadly, they are not very good examples of how a family should function. They're examples, examples of how families do function, but they kind of miss the mark. So we've been in this series. I'm calling it Family Checkup. It's kind of the analogy here. It's like going to the doctor. You get poked and prodded, and you look at things, and you figure out what's healthy, what needs some attention. And um, today we're going to talk a little bit about pain, okay? Um, you know, there, and there's basically a couple of kinds of pain in the analogy that I'm using here. You have crisis pain where something all of a sudden hurts right now. I don't know what it is, but you better get to the hospital. Go deal with it right now. It's something, you know, that's crisis pain. Um, the other kind is chronic pain, pain that kind of continues. It goes on and on and on and um, over time. And a lot of people live with long-term pain. You know, they, they, something's not right, you know, and you've got to deal with it and you learn how to manage it. And eventually, I'm, I'm gonna, eventually as we get through this message and, and next week, we're going to talk about real solutions to real pain. Um, and a lot of people feel that in spite of physical pain, there's not really much more painful things that happen to us than family pain. Pain that comes up because of something going on in the family. And um, if, if that's true, I believe that the focal point for family pain mostly lands for the people who happen to sleep in the master bedroom, in the marriage. And um, I'm not saying the marriage is the cause of pain. I'm just saying that when there's pain in the family, the two who live in the master bedroom or the one if it's a single parent family or the grandparent, the one who is the covering, those who lead, that's where the focus of the pain, not the cause of the pain, but that's where it's most felt, it seems like. Um, and uh, in other words, if it's hurting in the home, it's hurting in the master bedroom too. It's hurting in the marriage. And, and it's difficult um, and as, 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 as painful and as, as, as rebellious children can be, as godless children can be, there's, you know, it, it, as much as that can break a parent's heart, there is something about the fact that husband and wife are together. They're together on the same page that makes it manageable. And it might be a long time and it might be a tough pull, but being together on the same page with your mate makes all the difference. Here's some examples of... Um, of what I mean when I say that there's no pain like family pain. Someone who says, it was unthinkable. We never thought we'd have to bury our 23-year-old son. No parent should have to bury their children. Or someone who says, the doctor told us my wife's condition was very serious. She was gone, though, in months. I miss her. My three little children will grow up not knowing the love of a wonderful mother. Or someone who says, I love my mom and my dad. My family blew up when my mom left my dad to live with another woman. Confused, ashamed, and hurt. It still breaks my heart. 
or someone who says, my husband used to hit me, pin me to the ground and spit in my face. When our kids grew up and were capable, they left home and never came back. Or someone who says, when mom left dad for another man, it broke his heart and he took his own life. Or we just couldn't get pregnant, so we adopted. Our little gift from God needed our love, but wouldn't let us hold her. She'd cower and shy away, afraid that she'd be hit, that she'd be hurt, that she'd be abused like she had been before. I shared those examples of pain because I want you to know that family pain is a real problem. Family pain is a real problem. And those little statements, those little stories I just read to you, those are real stories. And also, family pain is a personal problem. The stories I just read to you, those are stories from the church that I used to be a pastor at. Okay, I could have come up with stories just like that for this church, but just because of the size and the scope of this church, it would have been insensitive. There would be people here that would say, I know who that is, and I don't want you to go, with that, go to that gossipy place in your mind. But, but those are real stories from real people. Those were comments, not quotes, but those were comments that were shared with me at some point in time. And um, also one other thing. No one is exempt from family pain. I mean, nobody. There is no get-out-of-jail-free card on this topic. And, uh, because the stories that I just read to you are about leaders, some of them pastors in the church that I used to pastor. Leaders in the past, leaders in the present. So I, want you, I don't want you to you know, be sitting where you are right now and thinking to yourself, you know, it, with, with your pain and your circumstances, somehow thinking to yourself, well, you know, what do you know about that? <laughs> you know, the fact of the matter is that very, very few people are exempt from family pain. And as we launch into Genesis 29, which I need to get going on because otherwise you're all going to get up and get out of here and say, I'm done with this. I've heard enough about pain. So let's move on and let's look at somebody else's pain for a while, this family in Genesis. Um, I'm going to talk to you about some causes of family pain. And last week we left off with Jacob um, who is Abraham's grandson, okay? So it's, it's um, Abraham to Isaac and then to Jacob. And Jacob deceived his father. You might remember if you were here last week. If not, the messages series are going to be available. They're available now. You can get them online um, on the church's website. Anyway, he deceived his father, and Jacob stole um, his brother's birthright and, um, and, and his brother's blessing. So his brother Esau, who was pretty ticked off about it, wanted to kill him. In fact, he came up with plans to kill his brother. Pretty broken up family. So Jacob has to take off and you know, run for his life. And there's this, just this huge division and this separation in the family. And, and, um, and I, I was thinking through, you know, as I, as I was thinking about, he takes off to get away from all the family problems and to protect his life. And, you know, maybe you don't need to, you didn't need to take off to protect your life, but I just wonder how many people, I don't want to see any hands here, but I wonder how many people sitting in this room, you live somewhere distant by choice to get away from dysfunction in your family. It's like, you know, you don't know where you'll end up living, but you know who you're not going to end up living near. And... um you know, that's what happened in the context of this family. So um, causes of family pain, the first one we'll look at today is deception. 
Um, and and um, family pain is lots of causes. The first one I want to talk about is deception. So we're in Genesis 29, starting in verse 1. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. I'm going to put a lot of it up on the wall in case you didn't bring your Bible. But I encourage you to bring your Bible. Okay, Be like the Bereans that you read about um, who um, were, were ready to hear the word of God. And they were open to it. But they checked the scriptures themselves to see if these things were so. You ought to do that. Okay, so I encourage you to, to become a student and to bring your Bible. Um, verse 1, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. By the way, the Bereans that I just mentioned, you see that in the book of Acts, okay? Um, I think it's 11? Anyway, I, you should check it and see if it's so. Anyway, so, okay. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and scripture describes the well in the setting. I'm going to move up to verse 4. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? Okay, so he's got these guys sitting around this well. It's an agricultural um, society, and um, sheep are milling about. You get the picture here. It's this bucolic setting. It's really pretty, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, so he said, they said to him, we're from Haran. Wait, wait, wait. You said Haran. Um, that's where my grandfather's from. Verse 3, he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? Okay, Nahor is his mother, Rebecca's brother. Okay, um, they said, we know him. Wait a minute, Haran, you're kidding me? Okay, so he says to them, is, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And look over there, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Okay, so Rachel's his cousin. Okay, with me so far? Okay, he said, verse 7, behold, it is still high day. And then he gives them some unwanted advice. Verse 9, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. By the way, Laban is his mother's brother. Uh, isn't it interesting sometimes the things you see in scripture? You, you, you and I would go, okay, triple redundancy in a single verse. Did you get the fact that Laban is his mother's brother? God is making a point here. And I didn't study out why this was so emphasized. It might be really obvious. Um, I would say there's something obvious about it. Rachel's his cousin, which is, okay, just tuck that away and consider that as the events unfold here. So, um, okay, keep going. Verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel on the cheek. Okay, so it was a greeting here. Um, uh, he's, he's, and wept aloud. Why the emotions? Well, okay. This is, um, you know, there's no fax machines here. There's no email. There's no Facebook you know, this is, this is a family. This is a pretty close family he hasn't had contact with for decades. I don't know if he's ever had contact with them. And he's gone on a journey, and there they are. It's as if God drove him there. It's as if God led his steps. Wow, what a concept. It's great. Way to go. Okay, way to go, God. Um, you know, so, so he's happy, and he's found them. And verse 12, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her, her father. So it's like, you know, it's a big family reunion, unexpected. They're all fired up about it. Verse 13, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to, this, to his house. 
you know, it's always great at the beginning, isn't it? It's like there's a big party, but it doesn't stay great for these people. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him for a month. (laughs) Okay, so he shows up unannounced from another country and decides to camp out for a month. Sound good to you? I don't know. But, okay, he, he, so, so he's there for a month. I don't know how good a deal that is, but it is. He, then he decides to, to, to just, you know, to move right in verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you're my kinsman, and now Laban here is really being very kind and appropriate, okay? He's doing the right thing. Should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me. You know, okay, so, so hey, your family... We can't just have you out there working all the time. I'm going to pay you something here. You're helping me. Tell me, what shall your wages be? Jacob likes that question. You know, that's a great question. I was wondering how long it was going to take you to ask me that question. You know, he's, he's I'm glad you asked that. And the whole time he's thinking about beautiful Rachel, right? He's thinking about Rachel. Verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah, Leah, okay. Leah's eyes were weak. We, we, pronounce, we pronounce it Leah traditionally. The, the Hebrew pronunciation was Leah, okay. So just so that you Star Wars fans know, George Lucas got that one right, okay. Leah, right, okay. <laughs> But I may go back and forth today. It's the same person. Leah, Leah. Okay, whatever. Anyway, so, but Rachel, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Leah's eyes were weak. I, you know, you, maybe you have little footnotes in your scripture, in your Bible. Um, I remember one from a long time ago that I had, and um, it translated weak eyes as sore. Leah had sore eyes, and... Um, Okay, so if you study that thing out, you, maybe many of you know this, but if you study that out, um, the name Leah literally means to tire, to, to make weary. Figuratively, it means to make disgusted. Okay? So when they say weak eyes, some translations say tender eyes, and uh, tender Eyes, not tender eyes like you would do to me, right? But some say tender eyes. And what they are suggesting there is like puppy eyes. Not cat eyes, right? Okay? (laughs) Puppy eyes, okay? But I think the scripture is going to explain what it means all by itself. Um, The suggestion here is that she's not attractive, all right? And and without, I I don't want to be insensitive on the topic and the concept because over time and in different cultures, what's beautiful changes, right? Okay, so this is where I get into trouble in my studies and I start thinking about, you know, apparently the Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa was a beautiful woman in her day, right? Not so much where I come from, but whatever, you know. Um, you know, what's that? How does that song go? Men have loved you, Mona Lisa. Okay, that's enough of that song. Um, Lisa hates that song. <laughs> I tell the truth. Do you hate that song, honey? Why? Okay, well, all right, not my fault. But I, okay, then I start thinking about Mona Lisa, and when I look at her, I kind of think she looks like George Washington. <laughs> right? I mean, look it. Don't you think? So here's how twisted minds continue down this trail. What if Mona and George got married and had a daughter? 
<laughs> okay, anyway, so <laughs> Leah is apparently not an attractive woman. And, and you know, I, I, mean, I don't want to make fun of someone because of their appearance, you know. Scripture actually tells us that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And, and what's beautiful on the outward changes with time, and, and, um, and it's so subjective. Here's, the, here's what I would say to you about that topic. The, the sovereign God of the universe made you. And the fact that he made me look like Tom Cruise, you can't do anything about that. I mean, I look in the mirror, and Tom Cruise does not look back at me. But the Lord made me this way, and he loves me. Right? Like this. Okay? So, I got that going for me. <laughs> so do you. Okay, so the verse goes on, Genesis 29, starting in 17. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So you see there the suggestion that the eyes being weak had to do with, she hurt your eyes, not hers, right? Okay, you following me? It's a suggestion that she's not beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, and he's thinking, I'll take that one. And he said, I will serve you. Remember the question was, what shall your wages be? He says, I'll take that one there um, in his mind. I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. To which Laban at this point could have replied or probably should have replied, hey, that's fine, but you need to know up front that in our culture, it's not allowed for the younger to be married off before the older has been married off. He should have said that. Does he say something there? No, no. He doesn't say that. And deception isn't just saying something that's not true. Deception includes allowing something by not saying something, allowing a concept to be believed by someone because of what you omit. That's every bit as much deception as a bold-faced lie. And that's what Laban's doing here. Verse 8 and verse 19 Laban says, ah, it's better to give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. What were you doing seven years ago? That's a long time. Seven years. And it wasn't like he hung out with a family. He was serving. He was a worker. Worker bee. Okay. So seven years. Um, and now here comes this great Valentine's Day thing for you to put in the card, guys. Okay. So here's a little hint, you know. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Aww. Everybody do that. Aww. Okay. <laughs> okay, now get ready for some professional level drama in this family, okay? Here, because here it comes. Um, 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, because he's been waiting, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. They're having a wedding party here. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. That's what you think it says, okay? So it's nighttime, and now they're in the, the wedding tent, and it says he brings her Leah, and he went into her. Hold on a minute. Wait a second. Laban has now pulled the bait and switch right? He thought he was getting a Corvette and he got a Corvair or something. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> so, and how does that go on? Well, okay, let's be mindful of the culture. There's no flashlights. There's no wall switch. There's no LEDs. It's, it's an agrarian culture, okay? If it's dark outside and there's clouds and the moon's not bright, you can't see your hand in front of your face. It's dark. And, um, 
Now, I'm not going to give, um, I'm, not, I'm not giving Jacob a, a, a complete pass on this because I don't know how he was fooled. But I'm thinking, okay, the same deception that he did to his father has now spun around 180 on him, right? And although his father, remember, if you read back there, his father was nearly blind and it was probably also dark then. The things that were working in his favor to deceive his father are now being used against him. Wow. How come nobody makes movies out of this? This is drama. This is great. Okay, so, I mean, um, you know, so now he's, Laban swaps the daughters. He, he drops off Leah. And, and, and Jacob doesn't catch it. You've got to wonder, what's his state of mind? What's his, is he, you know, is he, did he drink too much wine? He's not paying attention. He fell down, and when he woke up, he's married to the wrong woman. Okay? I mean, that's what happened here. Verse, okay, verse 23. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. You know, that had to have been a moment, you know. You know, oh, time to get up. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, and Jacob says to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Somebody go get the contract. You know, what's the deal? Did I not serve you for Rachel? And here it is. Why then have you deceived me? Why have you deceived me? Why did you, why did you rip me? Why have you deceived me? Deception is one of the most destructful, destructive, pain-inducing things that can happen in a family. Verse 26, here comes the weasel. Laban says, I shouldn't call names, should I? Here comes this other guy uh, named Laban. It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Uh, 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 couldn't you have told me that before? Couldn't you have mentioned that back at the beginning and made that part of the arrangement? You know? Complete the week. Laban continues. He says, here's what we'll do. Complete the week. That's seven years. Finish that. Um, of, of, of this one, Leah. Because now she's your wife. Complete that seven years. And we'll give you the other also in return for serving me seven more years. Okay, this, I'm not going to unpack that, but there's a lot wrong with that statement, that offer. But Jacob buys it. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. So, so here's what's going on there. Jacob finishes the first seven years. And as soon as he has, here's Rachel. Now you owe me seven more. And so he does it. Okay? So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Deception. It's just the pain. Just the pain that this is injecting into this family. I want to consider um, for just a couple of minutes five family deceptions, five kinds of deceptions that show up in families. And these are things that will destroy your family. They'll destroy your marriage and your relationship with your children and your extended family. Okay, five family deceptions. The first one is financial deception. Financial deception. That's, that's making money but not disclosing it. Um, you know, spending money but not sharing what you're doing. Borrowing money, obligating your family to debt but not including your family in, in the process. Gambling, um, gambling money away that the family doesn't know that you're doing or, or not being accountable for the things you do with, with, with the decisions you make that are financial. It's just wrong. Financial deception. And I just want to say to you... Um, 
as clearly as I can, and I think you could consider this a word from the Lord to you today, no deception. None. No deception. You, you cannot find a justification for it. It's destructive. Anyway, so, okay, first one would be um, financial. Second one would be infidelity, Let's, and we'll start with emotional infidelity. You know, That's where you allow anybody other than your spouse to meet emotional needs you have that are supposed to only be met by your spouse, right? You know, and you may not have crossed the line physically, sexually, um, but you, 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 you have relational needs that the Lord intended to only be met by your spouse, to open your heart up to other people and, and let them into confidences in your heart. And, you know, you, you have a person that you look forward to seeing at the gym and um, there's something growing in your heart there, that's a disaster waiting to happen. It's just a disaster. Okay, so emotional infidelity is a, is a kind of deception, and of course also sexual infidelity. And if eventually those emotional things, if they are not pulled back fast, they will cross the line. They will. Okay, another a family deception is um, going behind the parents' back. Okay, well, what my parents don't know won't hurt them. Yeah, that's incorrect. I mean, it's a phrase, you know, what they don't know won't hurt them. That is just not true. Um, it is going to hurt them, and it's going to hurt you. In fact, Proverbs 28 says that he who covers his sin will not prosper. Proverbs 28, 13, and in, in Numbers 32, it says, be sure to know your sins will find you out. They're going to come out. Don't know when, don't know how, but they will come out. The thing is that when the sins do come out, the deception itself becomes a part of the problem, you know. I mean, not just what you did, but how you went about covering it up, how you lied, how you deceived, and, and then pretty soon the deception becomes worse than the original failure because it's just a violation of trust and relationship. Okay, so five, five family deceptions, finances, infidelity, um, kids lying to their parents, going behind their backs, and the fourth one is accountability, Okay, accountability. I mean, I believe, I'm prefacing, this is my opinion, based on just best I know about the character of God, but I, I believe every member of a family should be accountable. For what, Terry? Everything. I think as family members, we're accountable to each other for everything. I don't think that you should have any time during the week that your wife does not know where you are. You, you just, you don't, you know, they're just, just, I don't think you should have it. I, I think your wife should know where you are. Or your husband should know where you are all the time. Now, does that mean that your wife needs to call you up and know every 30 seconds which light are you at now? No, I'm not saying that. That's, that's, that's a sign of another issue that needs to be addressed. It's, 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 it's not good. But I'm just saying that there should be no secrets. There should be no blanks. And because those, those secrets, those, are, those blanks, those, those are an opportunity for the devil right there. Okay? They're just, they're just not good. So you should be accountable. You know, she should know where you are. You should know where the money is being spent. You know, parents, you should know where your kids are. Parents, do you know where your kids are? I think parents should know where their kids are all the time. Accountability. Everything else, I think, is an opportunity for um, deception. 
Okay, so lack of accountability. The last one that I have is um, true feelings. True feelings. Does your spouse, do your children, you know, do your parents, does your sister know your true feelings? How you really feel? You know, or are you kind of holding a lot of it back? Are you kind of got it tucked in a safe place where, um, you know, you're covering it up? Or, and, and, and when you're asked, do you say the things that will end the conversation successfully rather than telling the truth? You know, um, I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to unload everything all of the time. I'm just saying that if, if your family's perception of what's real and what is real in your heart, if there's this big gap in between there, that's going to eventually boil up into a whole lot of pain real fast. And it, honesty is so important. Honesty is a big deal. So the deception here between Laban and Jacob is awful, Right? Terrible, and the fallout now starts to multiply. So, first cause of family pain is deception. Second one we're going to see come up here in this story is jealousy. Jealousy. Verse 30. So, Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Now, if you like me and you read that, you know, what comes to mind is, you know, wait a minute. Did he, does he have two wives now? He, there was like a double wedding, and he was the groom in both of them. What is going on here? Do you have, does anybody here have a problem with him having two wives? Lisa, do you have any problem with two wives? Okay, <laughs> just checking. I mean, yeah. I mean, I look at this, and I think, what is going on here? And, and okay, so m- let me give you a little bit of context here. First off, to have more than one wife was never God's plan. Never. I mean, never God's plan. Um, Genesis 2 um, says that a man shall leave his mother and his father and go into his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's just very simple. God's plan is one man with one woman for a lifetime. That's, that's the ultimate perfect plan that God has. And I realize because the world is broken and, and things happen that we fail in that sometimes. Don't feel condemned by your history. Just walk in, you know... Just walk in the in, in, in the Lord's ways, and, and but but I'm saying this: two wives is not the Lord's plan. You're going to see all kinds of problems come up. You know this. By the way, in a in a historical port, portion like this, this, is the Word of God. It's true. You get here the raw, unfiltered description of what's going on. Just because it says this couple did this or this man married this other woman, that doesn't mean that it's the Lord's will. You're just getting the unvarnished, true story here. The Bible is not a glossy, retouched photo made to look good, right? It's just, here's what he did. So that doesn't mean that this is what you're supposed to do, right? Okay. I mean, if all your friends jumped off a cliff, would you do that too? Because everybody's doing it, right? Okay. So, so here's this, <laughs> this thing where uh, we see this and in, 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 in the Bible assumes, if you've read Genesis 2, for a man will leave his mother. Okay, father, mother and father, and two shall become. Okay, if, if the Bible assumes if you've read that, that you get to this and you already go, uh, wait a minute, one, two. Hey, that's one over the limit. You, you, you're in trouble here. There's a game department going to, whatever, something's going to happen. And he's headed into trouble. Because, because when I've said this before in messages, and I got this from another preacher, that every time God says don't, what he means is, don't hurt yourself. 
When you see the word of God telling you don't do something, what God is saying to you is don't hurt yourself. If you follow that out. Okay, so, and, and when you get off of God's plan, you're going to see there's all kinds of heartache that comes. And, um, you know, and, and now in this case, it's Laban's deception. It's seeding all kinds of things. And now here comes jealousy, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Okay, so one wife is having children and the other is not, and that's a cultural disgrace, okay? I mean, a woman's purpose there was to produce children largely. I mean, that was one of the most important things. And so she's, Rachel's barren, 32, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. I mean, that is so sad. Oh, finally, I'm having a baby. Now my husband will love me. This is heartbreaking. Verse 30, she conceived, 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Okay, the name Simeon literally is translated hearing, but the name there means hearing that I'm hated. This woman named her son hearing that I'm hated. This is just terrible um, stuff that's going on. This is so sad. 34, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because, attracted, attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Boy, one and two weren't enough, I guess. Therefore his name was called Levi. 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. I'm going to praise God because now finally after all this, my husband is going to love me. It's never enough. That's what jealousy, it's, it's whatever I'm doing, it's never and ever enough. Uh, Genesis 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. There's the jealousy. She said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? Hey, Mr. Sensitivity, well done on, how'd that work out for you there, Jake? I, I mean, I mean, he's saying to her, do you think I'm God? Um, no, I'm not I'm not mistaking you for God. No, no, don't worry about that, Jacob. Uh, you, know, you know, and this guy's not winning any sensitivity awards here. Verse three, then she said, here's my servant Bilhah. Go into her. Now, she does the exact same thing that Jacob's grandma did. And you know how that worked out, right? Okay, not well. So, so she says, you know, sleep with my servant so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. And you can read how this goes on. It kind of spirals into this baby war, you know, where you know, see Leah, who has stopped bearing children, says, well, I'm not going to be one-upped. Here's my servant. Sleep with her. And this baby war starts, okay? It's crazy. Back and forth, back. And that's how twisted this jealousy thing is now. It's going to get, it's, it's big things, and it's going to now twist itself into little things. Um, verse 14, in the days of wheat harvest... Reuben, he's the firstborn, by the way, of the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so you're going to see in, in chapter 30 here, all the tribes of Israel get started. Okay, they're going on right here. Um, getting born. Um, Reuben went and found mandrakes. Okay, mandrakes are this little herb. It's, um, it's, it's, it was considered an aphrodisiac. It's considered a love potion, okay? So he comes home with this love potion. He finds mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah 
Then Rachel says to Leah, now, these two women are competing for Jacob's affection, okay, because they're, they're both married to the same person, and, you know, there's all this deception and jealousy. Rachel says to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Okay, consider the context, right? They're competing. It's a love potion, they believe. Give me some love potion. But Leah said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Look at the heart of Leah there. She's brokenhearted. These are two sisters. I don't never been a sister, but I've observed some. And in a healthy setting, when sisters grow up, they can kind of become inseparable. They think together. They play together. They relate to each other. They're, you know, sisters, sisters. <laughs> there were never such devoted sisters. No, 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 no. She wore the dress and I stayed home. Okay, so <laughs> you can tell what we do at Christmas time. The fact that I even know those lyrics. So, but they're close, right? Now these two girls have grown up and they're at each other's throats. Deception and jealousy are carving into this family. Just carving this swath. Is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you also take away my son's mandrakes? Now they're arguing about these herbs. Rachel says, well then, he can sleep with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. They're now bartering his sexual favors. Okay? For the love potion. Okay, just, this makes no sense. Okay, it just makes no sense. He said, I'm going to let you sleep with him if you give me the love potion. What are you thinking here? Verse 16, when Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you have to sleep with me tonight because I've paid, I made a a swap with, okay? (laughs) It's like, okay. For I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. This is a soap opera. It's just twisted. It's sick. It's so outside of God's plan. So what does he do? Sure. So he lay with her that night. Back and forth, more babies, more competition. Verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. And this is pretty messed up. Agreed? Right? Is this messed up? <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. I mean, I'm reading this, and I'm just kind of chuckling. I'm thinking, you know, it's kind of fun to laugh at these people. You shouldn't do that. But I'm going... Okay, I've heard people say, well, culturally, multiple wives was the thing that... No, no. You can see that it's not the thing. It's just, it's just not the thing. I mean, it's just sad. Sinful choices, painful consequences. It's just sad. Now, I think you probably already know what jealousy is, but just in case, here's a definition for you of jealousy. It's a painful feeling that emerges when we perceive that someone is achieving something that we desire for ourselves. If some, something painful happens in you when something good happens to somebody else, that's jealousy. It's just so destructive in a family. You know, I should have what my sister has. I, I should have what my parents have. I, you know, I should have what some, somebody else in the family has. Things always come easy to him, but they're harder for me. It shouldn't be hard for me. And then you start to compare. And when you start to compare, I'm telling you, that's not going anywhere good. James Dobson, um, Dr. James Dobson, who wrote a lot of good material on parenting, um, wrote a book called Solid Answers. It's an old book. I don't even know if you can find it anymore, but 
he talked about some things, in particular, three things that parents do unknowingly. I mean, not, not intending to create jealousy among their kids, but they do these things and it creates jealousy. One is comparing them in appearance, okay? It's like, um, you know, one child that, according to our culture, is a beautiful child and, oh, daddy's little girl, you're so beautiful, and da 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 And the boys hear that and don't get those kinds of comments because dads don't make your beautiful comments to their boys and think that the boys understand that this is a gender-appropriate way to, you know, but they're hearing it and not getting it, okay? It creates jealousy. Or uh, a second kind would be athletic success. You know, you got one child, a son who hits the home run, and the other child strikes out, and on the way home, Mom and dad are going, hey, great home run. So proud of you. Way to keep your eye on the ball. And they're thinking that the other sons are hearing all this and they're getting on the bandwagon. Yeah, he did great. They're not on the bandwagon. They're not. They're feeling this comparison in them. And it's just not, it's, 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 it's hard for a kid. And then a third way that parents inadvertently do this is academic success. You know, some Children grow up and learn differently than other kids. And um, some kids just are a good match for the education systems of our culture. And other kids are not such a good match for the system. And it doesn't speak to intelligence, and it certainly doesn't speak to worth. And, you know... I used to work in a company. I used to do a lot of hiring for them, and, and uh, I was an employment manager. And I would hire people who had master's degrees in topics, and they were dumber than a stump. <laughs> That's terrible. I mean, they really, they were educated, but they didn't have any wisdom. They didn't understand. They, they, they were, they, they and, and there were other people who had not finished high school, and they had, they had it. They got it. They were wise. And they were able to learn things, but they, the learning methods gave them a different list of letters behind their name. And, um, you know, kids grow up and one does really well, and then the other one maybe finds out that, um, you know, they're both gifted, they're both intelligent, they're both smart, but one finds out that, is, that maybe being social is more rewarded in a, um, in, the, in a certain part of the marketplace where the other one learns that, you know, the educational part isn't as worth, worthwhile, or vice versa. And, um, you know, or, or maybe you grew up in a home where the parents stuck the um, report cards on the refrigerator, <laughs> you know, and parents are inadvertently introducing all kinds of competitiveness in their children, and I think parents need so much wisdom about how to raise their children. Because with right hearts, we try to do the right things to motivate our kids. We want to honor them appropriately. And we don't want the others to feel dishonored when we honored one. But there's something of human flesh in every heart that a parent has to have insight into and wisdom and a love capacity to lead them all with, with wisdom. That's why I just pray for parents. I've been one, I am one, and it's, there's no formula. You can have 15 kids and you'll have 15 different kids. I haven't had 15 kids. I've only had three. That was plenty for me. Okay. <laughs> and everybody, you know, the thing is that, you know, jealousy is this, I want what she has, I want what he has, and it's so destructive, and everybody thinks that everybody else has a better deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we do. 
you know, just so destructive and it causes so much pain. If you're struggling with jealousy, here are some simple things you can do. Well, simple for me to say. Not maybe so simple. If you feel yourself getting competitive with someone else in your family, number one you could do is pray for their success and mean it, by the way. You know, you know it, it'll set you free. God, I, I just, what a wonderful promotion you've given her. Just, I just pray you'll just help her to see things she needs to see and be what she needs to be and give her favor with people and decision makers. Bless her, Lord, in, in that and, and, and direct her. Here, another thing you can do is encourage them. The second thing you can do is encourage them. If you're feeling competitive, here's something else you do is you, you encourage them. Take it upon yourself to bless them. You know, have a generous giving attitude towards them and encourage them instead of feeling competitive. And then the third one is defend that person. Don't ever let anybody criticize somebody in your family. <laughs> just, just, you know, if you pray for that person, if you encourage that person, if you defend that person, I'm telling you, you're not going to struggle with jealousy. You know, I wish I had her gifts. I wish I looked like him. I, I, I wish I had their opportunity. You know, it's just devastating to a family. Now, um, I can tell the tell by the clock what I look at, but also in my soul as I was um, preparing. I have two more points, um, and I really feel like I, I intentionally plan to stop here. I'm stopping here for, on this today because I feel like there are times that the Word of God, as full of life as it is, sometimes it can rest heavily on us. And out of sensitivity to that, um, I'm say, pause. We're going to come back here and start here again next week, okay? <laughs> and we'll spend more time next week on the solutions. So let me pray for you and pray with you about this. Um, and here's where we're going to go next week. I'll just tell you two other destructive things in families is control and fear. And we're going to see how those things come out in this, um, and then we'll talk some more about the solutions. So let's pray. Lord, I just really um, b- want to thank you for the fact that we can see this, the mistakes of another family in history rather than having to learn by our own pain. And uh, Lord, I pray that as a prayer for everybody here that we can um, learn where we are now with having, having to experience pain to learn that God, um, your word does sometimes sit, sit kind of heavily on us, but um, there's also something to be gained here if we can say, ooh, Teach me this in my heart, Lord, so that I don't have to learn it through experience. So God, I I pray that um, your spirit would have an open, fertile place in my heart. Even though my kids are grown, I want to have a a tender heart before you and before your word. So Lord, I I choose to be tenderhearted before the king. I choose, Lord, because I need you to help me be a more grace-filled man a more grace-filled husband, a more grace-filled father, a more grace-filled leader and boss. Help my heart, Lord, to be tender before you. And I encourage you, church, if, the, if, that, if that rings in your heart, say the same thing to God, Lord. I pray, Lord, for grace to be found in my heart because there, Lord, are, can be patterns of relating that are just unhealthy in our culture. That They just need to be broken. Forgive us, Lord, for those, those patterns and help us, Lord, to be what it is that you're shaping into our souls. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Hey, if I could have the prayer team come up um, over here to your normal spot. If anybody needs prayer, feel free to come on up and uh, let these people pray for you. They're really good at it. I think I brag on them all the time. And, um, but don't be afraid to come up and get pray- prayed for. Uh, 
what a great day in the Lord. I'm excited for what he has for us as we leave this place. And I commend you into, into his hands. As you leave this place, know that his word is full of grace and power and might for your life. And may he be the lifter of your head as you walk into this week and as he moves you in these ways. Amen? Amen. Hey, go get some cookie commotion going on out there, all right? All right. That-